here's my advice for finding your purpose. Step out of the good girl box. Like go do something out of your comfort zone and that will bring you closer to your purpose because when I'm thinking about it now, I think your purpose, and you kind of said this and I really agree, your purpose is uh, knowing that you got to show up and be 100% your authentic self without all the conditioning and all the BS in this lifetime. I think that is the purpose of why we're here is to like evolve and into our our most empowered higher selves welcome back to the show i am so excited for you to listen to this episode today my guest bella is a native mexican mystic she's a somatic and subconscious specialist she's a coach of seven plus years who has built a seven-figure business helping others through her courses mentorship and retreats And she focuses on teaching women how to break cycles, develop personal power, and deep self-trust. In this episode, we talk about healing childhood trauma. We talk about sensuality, sexuality. We talk about the nervous system. And we even go into Bella's own personal journey into entrepreneurship and building her business from her femininity, from her intuition, and from her heart. It is such a beautiful conversation, and I am just so excited for you to listen. Bella, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here with you. Me too. Me too. So... I'd like to start the conversation off with trauma. (laughs) Let's go. (laughs) Let's get into it. So I love how you define trauma because I think that we can sometimes think about trauma in terms of something very extreme, like the big T trauma, Mm -hmm. and we forget that there are so many layers to trauma. Mm -hmm. And something that I have learned about it in my own life is that when I was younger, my family was very religious, Mm -hmm. and so they believed in like punishment and all of that. And I realized later in life that a lot of that A lot of my issues with feeling my emotions came from the punishment that I experienced in my younger years because I was also not allowed to feel the emotion associated with the punishment because I would be told, don't cry or you'll get more punishment. And so not to start this off with something heavy because I've healed a lot from that, but I was watching one of your videos and you were talking about how trauma is typically anything that really affects your emotions. And then when your emotions are trapped, like you can't actually move through the emotion and allow it to express itself. That's when even those little small events and large events can have an effect on your life later on down the road. Mm -hmm. So I just, I really liked how you define trauma and I've been learning a lot about that, especially reading The Body Keeps the Score, which is such a good book. And um, so, yeah, so maybe let's speak to just your definition of trauma and how that can help us just understand how our experiences have shaped us. Well, thank you for starting on that foot because I think it's actually really important and uh, so many people feel like their traumas aren't valid because they're smaller or they compare to like much bigger things happening in the world and they say, well, you know, why should this matter? But 
trauma is less about the event that happens to you and it's more about the imprint that it leaves on your body on your nervous system and also on your mind like if you keep ruminating on something that happened years ago and it prevents you from experiencing intimacy or from feeling like you can express yourself and be seen in the world or whatever it is for you that you're desiring that counts and I think acknowledging that and also destigmatizing trauma as this like you know this this thing that only certain people experience we all have trauma is so important yeah yeah I agree and um what do you feel like are some of the signs in your adult life that you have experienced trauma like some of the kind of physical manifestations of that so I think you can tell a lot about a person by their uh, voice I think that when I really dropped deep into my healing the speed with which I spoke changed um, the tone of my voice changed and also really like on a deeper level I believe that all trauma is energetic so there's all of these different outer modalities parts work somatic therapy breath work and they're all trying to get at the same thing which is um, moving the energy of blocked up trauma in the body mm. and so I would say that some of the symptoms that people tend to experience um are are negative thinking like your your thought patterns are a huge symptom of trauma as well as uh, body language your posture where you're having aches and pains like people especially in the shoulders the shoulders are kind of like the shoulds and so um the weight of the world we carry that on our shoulders and so you know i think moving the shoulders and the neck um is really really like a small place to start but it actually really helps and actually all stress in the body begins in the face so that was something really interesting that I learned from um, a massage therapist who was trauma-informed and uh, massaging my own face played like a huge role in just discharging daily stress at the end of the day as well so it's like a fun little practice you can do yeah it's so crazy how trauma shows up on the body because we get into these contracted states because we're we have these patterns of protection and survival and it's like someone who is fully embodied and really free like yourself your posture is is open your voice is calm and grounded and it's such a it's such a a feeling of peace mm -hmm. and freedom mm -hmm. and i feel like a lot of people really want to experience like purpose and fulfillment and alignment in their life. And it's really hard to get to that place when you have experienced these traumas in your life because you're constantly, and this is, I'm relating so hard because this is like my story and, and even current life where you're just, it's the negative thought loops mm -hmm. and it's so, it's just, yeah, it, it can prevent us. Like, we all want to live in our dharma. Like, we all want to live in our truth. And so maybe you can speak to how, and maybe even through your own journey, how kind of unpacking and healing your own trauma has helped you to live in your dharma. Because I feel like you are someone who, like, you're living your dharma. Like, you're living your truth and your purpose. And I think it, yeah, I, I think it would be helpful to hear maybe when you weren't living that and how that's evolved for you. Yeah, let's dive in. <laughs> so for most, I, I like to say for most of my life, I was addicted to chaos and dysregulation was my baseline state for a few reasons. Um, I would say like my big T trauma was probably, well, there's a, there's a few of them, but when my parents got divorced when I was 11, there was like 
a custody battle, like really bad fighting. They just stopped being parents, love them so much, but they were not capable of taking care of me and my brother. And um, it was a whole mess. And then all of a sudden I was changing homes every two days. So it was like mom and dad's or mom's on Monday, Tuesday, dad's Wednesday, Thursday, and then every other weekend. Mm. So I like I lived in chaos like I didn't have every home was different my parents are complete opposites so there was no sense of stability within me and then on top of that I started to do badly in school because uh, I was processing trauma and um, my parents were like okay she's doing bad in school let's get her prescribed Adderall (laughs) Mm. so all of a sudden I'm like a high schooler with terrible anxiety and I'm taking Adderall and I'm having panic attacks at school and leaving school and then falling into these deep depressions. And then I would like smoke cigarettes to kind of help come down from that anxiety. Mm-hmm. And one, one drug leads to the yeah, other. Yeah, exactly. And it's wild to me that they prescribe Adderall to children. It's something that um, and, and for a long, long time, one of my big limiting beliefs was that I would never be able to be successful or have good grades or be a focused person without amphetamines, essentially. Um, and I haven't taken amphetamines since I was like 19 years old. So I, I stopped around then. Um, and, and, you know, there was a lot of limiting beliefs that I had to work through. But my big traumas really showed up in love and through people pleasing tendencies. I was very much like a fawn response type. And for anyone who doesn't know, there are four major ways that trauma manifests in the nervous system and our stress responses fight flight freeze and fawn and um, so I was like very freeze and fawn and so what's interesting about freeze and fawn is a lot of time people don't recognize it because um, you're functional right like you're you're when people are frozen inside they they might seem totally fine and calm on the surface but internally things aren't functioning right the left and the right brain inside of the body aren't communicating Um, so that was like a little bit of my story with trauma and then it would really manifest in relationships so my romantic relationships all mirrored my parents relationships so I desperately wanted to have healthy love I was like a serial dater had so many different boyfriends and um, every single time I, I found myself faced with the exact patterns that my parents had and um what really started my healing journey was there was, you know, I had tried EFT and hypnotherapy, which was helping me quit smoking and helped me to wean off of um, amphetamines when I was in college. But then working on the ancestral like traumas really played the biggest role for me because I believe I know that teachers like Dr. Gabor Mate, they say he says that all Uh, wounds and all trauma is childhood trauma but I'd like to take that a level deeper I believe that all wounds and trauma originate um, through our lineage and through our family like I think that childhood trauma is a symptom of ancestral trauma and most of the time we're just repeating patterns of the people that came before us so to me that is the deepest level that we can uproot our traumas at and so I met my first mentor when I was like I think it was like 21 and she gave me a family constellation session in a restaurant with a shamanic wheel so there's many different ways of doing family constellations and it was like a shamanic wheel and she's dropping little representative figurines that represented my my family and my partners wow. and it was so profound I have always been someone who I think I was always like skeptical of spiritual teachers uh, when I was younger and like I was like hmm, we'll see if they're the real deal deal or not but you know I found myself like sobbing in this restaurant and uh, my patterns changed so quickly after that and I had to obviously study that modality because it was just so transformative for me so it was like kind of uh, where things started. 
Wow. Okay, let's go into this family constellation <laughs> therapy. Tell me more. Yeah, so um, family constellations are a form of psychotherapy. They're really popular in Mexico and in Europe, not so much in the States yet. Um, but they say that their one family constellation session is like having 10 therapy sessions. And I can attest to this because we're working with the energy of trauma. We're really going to the root. And so what's interesting about family constellations and what I think is the most important piece to understand is that it works because of something called the morphic field or the morphogenic field. And the morphogenic field or morphic resonance basically states that information can be transferred across same species. So if you've ever seen like birds, they all just know where to fly when they migrate. Or if you've ever noticed that cows always face in the same direction, no matter where in the world they are. So there are these really interesting like factors that are scientific um, that show that morphic resonance is real. Well, for humans, our consciousness is a little bit more expansive or more complicated. Right. And so the idea is that uh, the morphic resonance or the morphic field of humans holds all information of our family lineage. Every uh, wound, every pattern that has been repeated, generally secrets tend to continue manifesting in younger generations. And so um, what Family Constellations does is it opens up that field known as the knowing field and when we either you can either have physical representatives so like you could be representing my mom and the facilitator would open the field and initiate you as my mother and you might start have information coming through like oh my gosh like i feel a lot of rage towards my child or i feel this heaviness in my heart and information comes through you can also do it like i mentioned on the shamanic wheel or um, using objects as representatives but on the wheel it's interesting because just like in tarot readings or different mystical um representations when you drop the the people onto the wheel they'll fall in different quadrants that represent different things and the information that is revealed is so profound and then not only that but you can um work on essentially like correcting energetic imbalances and that's really what family constellations is all about it's identifying where there is an imbalance in give and take um where there are major karmic shadows that have been like hidden Sometimes things will be revealed that are so shocking and you don't even know if they're true, but they end up being true. So in my first family constellation, um, a little representative fell on the line between life and death on the shamanic wheel. And this woman who became my mentor, she looked up at me and she was like, your mom had an abortion before you were born. And I was like, no, she didn't. My mom tells me everything. What are you talking about? And luckily my mom was there and she looked like she had seen a ghost and she was like, no, wait, I did. And she suddenly was like recalling that when she was 19, she had a really late term abortion in Mexico before it was legal and almost died. And so that baby really wanted to be born. And the energy of that kid who never manifested was impacting my karmas because I felt like I was the first child in the family. If that makes sense. Yeah. And so I was taking on this burden of being like the first and being responsible for everyone and being the people pleaser. And it was never actually meant to be my role to fulfill. So it's really about like checks and balances when it comes to energy and when it comes to um, making sure that we're actually learning our lessons and not just inheriting lessons that actually don't belong to us. So hopefully that clarifies yeah. the long-winded answer. <laughs> wow, it's making me want to do one of these. They're really transformative. Well, because I'm like, I definitely have, my family is crazy. Mm. 
I love them, but yeah, there's <laughs> there's definitely a lot of a lot of ancestral stuff going mm-hmm. on, and I love that perspective too. That it's like it's like you could stop at childhood, but it's like, well, why did we have the childhood trauma? Mm-hmm. And it's because someone else, like I can directly relate my childhood trauma to my dad's childhood mm-hmm. trauma and my mom's childhood mm-hmm. trauma. And it's like, where did my grandma inherit her childhood trauma that she then passed on to my dad? Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, all of us in this lifetime, we're trying to rewrite it all. And that actually brings me to a good point. Do you feel like you healing your your traumas has affected your family at all or like your family dynamic yes absolutely my mom and i i love my mom we're like sisters and we had a really codependent relationship and after that family constellation i no longer felt this like constant need to check in on her to make sure that she was okay to yeah to like take care of her and she started changing a lot too um even like my relationship with my dad began to change um I can tell you so many stories from like clients who have had family constellations and then these magical wild synchronicities happen I had a client who um her mom had cancer and she had been kind of postponing her life to take care of her mom who had cancer and we had our family constellation and right after the session she got a call from her mom's nurse the nurse was like, you need to come to the hospital right now. I think these might be your mom's last moments. So she got to go and say goodbye. And it was like sad, but it was also like she felt that it was also necessary, right? Because that grief had been prolonged for so long. And she did get to say her goodbyes and everything. But that's how quickly it worked. Like she was setting boundaries in the constellation. And then it was like, you know, her mom passed away. And she was also able to begin prioritizing herself in a big way. So things like that happen all the time in constellations <laughs> wow interesting mm-hmm. very cool that is i've tried so many different things but that is one thing i haven't tried i'm like interesting definitely give it a go i will i will <laughs> okay so after the family constellation therapy stuff in your journey what what else did you do like what 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 else did you do to continue just the path Mm-hmm. So at that point, I had done um, NLP training, subconscious reprogramming and hypnotherapy training. And that was like the first really big step. And then Family Constellations was huge. Okay. And that mentor, she like she was the traditional archetype of the mentor that came into my life, shook everything up, changed my world. And wow. then I was like, I need to learn from you. And cool. so luckily, she runs one of the best psychotherapy schools in Mexico and in Mexico credentialing is a lot more relaxed. Like you don't need to have a go to graduate school to be a psychotherapist in Mexico. So she was able to um, get me in the room with some of the best teachers like Dr. Bessel Vanderkoek, Dr. Richard Schwartz. I got to be in intimate trainings with them and um, began doing my trainings and in, in all sorts of other things. EMDR um, trauma was kind of like my introduction into the world of healing but on a more personal level my mom's side of the family is indigenous and so we grew up with Toltec teachings and so I always had this like very spiritual perspective on life but it wasn't quite as grounded or it wasn't so applicable to the more um, logical and education-based people that I was around and so trauma kind of gave me this um, this toolkit with which to bridge the gap between my understanding of spirituality and psychology and science and then from there it was just like following the breadcrumbs I would say so um I had this whole like disconnection with my sexuality where my womb just turned off I had uh 
HPV late, late or like, what was it? I had precancerous cells in my womb and I had HPV mm. and my sexuality just turned off. Yeah. <laughs> so suddenly I was like, okay, life, well, I guess I have to like learn how to fix this and let's see if I can implement what I've learned. And so I got into Tantra and somatic work through that. Like it felt like the body was the next piece. And um, yeah, I really just started having to practice on myself and I also got into quantum meditation practices and would visualize my womb healing. And six months later, after really consistent practices, um, I just like I envisioned, I went to the OBG and they were like, you're clear, your, your womb is healthy again. And I was able to self-heal that. So that was kind wow, of like the next beautiful. part. And I feel like that's kind of how it's been ever since is every year, every phase of life, there's some new lesson to be learned. And I try to follow those breadcrumbs and say, okay, like what's life trying to teach me right now? And how can I be the student? And um, then, you know, my experience and, and the tools that I learned to help me through it kind of become a part of how I help other people in my field. Wow. What a journey. <laughs> so it sounds like you started with the mind with like sub subconscious uh, stuff and NLP. And then you did the constellation, the energy work, and then really like got into the body and the nervous system. So cool. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like when it comes to sensuality and sexuality, do you feel like you, even before you said your womb turned off and you came or came down with that, do you feel like you were in your fullest expression before that? And then it turned off and then, or was it, or were you not quite there still? Does it's that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's a really interesting question because I think I thought that I was this sexually liberated, free woman. Like I've been really fortunate to grow up in environments where, you know, I, I was uh, always able to be myself. Mm -hmm. And so I thought I was, and I was in a, I was, you know, I was with my long-term partner at this time when all of this happened and. Um, I realized as my womb turned off and as it, I, I call it the awakening of the wise womb, because I feel like, you know, when you're meeting somebody and you're considering them just as like from a place of lust, your womb is more easy to open and it's, uh, it's a different energy. But I feel like as soon as your body starts considering someone as like a potential long-term partner, it's like, okay, now you have to prove that you can keep me safe and that you're going to treat my body like a temple. And so I feel like through that awakening, that was, that became my demand. And I started realizing all of the ways in which I always would put my pleasure second, like my people pleasing tendencies were still ongoing, um, in the bedroom, in my, my own relationship to pleasure. Like I never really spent time exploring pleasure by myself. And that was a big part of that journey. It was like really exploring sensuality and aliveness and pleasure in, in every which way in my relationship. I had a really safe container to do so, but also on my own. So I would say looking back, I do not think I was, um, I was sensually, sexually as empowered as I might have thought. I think there were new levels that were unlocked. And I think that um, our womb sometimes, this happens to a lot of women. I would say about a third of the women that I work with when I share these stories, they're like, I'm going through that right now. Yeah. <laughs> my womb is like not, not working. You know, there's a disconnect between my mind and my body. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's really important to talk about for that reason. Yeah. What do you feel like if, okay, let, let's say that there's a woman listening to this and she's like, okay, yeah, shit, that's where I'm at. Where would you say for her to start? So I, I would say as much as you're going to be impatient with the journey, you have to start simple because 
going straight into like yoni wands and, you know, the more intense sensual pleasure practices can be really intimidating if that's not something you've ever done anything with before. So for me, it was really just reconnecting to sensation and pleasure and also um, recognizing all of the limiting beliefs and the narratives and the thoughts that were trying to prevent me from doing that. So uh, for me, a really big one was I don't have enough time. And my business was blowing up at this point too. So, you know, I was like, I have to prioritize my clients. Like that, mm-hmm. that tendency kicked in. And um, so I started a practice every day for 10 minutes. I would just lay in bed and just touch my body, like not even, you know, in a sexual way, but just mm-hmm. like connecting to sensation, seeing what felt good, just exploring it in, in a simple um, way. And just repeating to myself, I have all the time in the world. And Mm, I love that. That played a huge role. Like I had, and and I had to do that for a long time. Like a lot of the time people will be given a practice and they try it once and they're like, why hasn't everything been fixed? Yeah. But it really is about consistency. And then I also think understanding my, um, my like sexual type like what sexually attracts me played a big role so there are different sexual expressions there's a quiz I think it's called the desire map and I found that really helpful um there are four different types there is like energetic sensual um uh I forget the other two but oh yeah I I think I know what you're talking about um I think the woman who created that is it like Jaya Uh yeah Yeah. I think sexual is one Mm -hmm. I think kinky Mm -hmm. is one I think there's another one, I think, maybe, or, or another. Yeah, two. I'm. I can't remember. There's one that is like literally just like about contact, right? Like, I like think that's genitals sexual. touching, sexual. Yeah, yeah. Then there's kinky, which is a little bit um, more experimental, and yes. then there's sensual and energetic. And I learned that I was sensual, and so I started bringing in elements of like lighting candles and essential oils and music oh my gosh music mm, like listening to mm-hmm. central music yes changed everything yes so it's like oh suddenly sorry. oh you're good <laughs> i was like oh suddenly i can tap out of the thoughts in my mind and just listen to this voice and and these you know sound frequencies that relax my body and that was huge yeah and it sounds like we need to really be connected to our nervous system too in order to allow ourselves to experience pleasure Mm -hmm. where it's like when you're in that fight or flight state or any any of those any of the freeze the fawn uh we are not able to open and relax and be connected to our bodies we're like up in here Mm -hmm. and i've definitely experienced that where it's just yeah you just get stuck up here and you you're like i want to feel but i can't Mm -hmm. and i think people forget that you know we need foreplay because and why do we need foreplay well because we have a resistance to merging with love because Mm. our wounds show up in our relations the most you know most of our wounds are relational so uh so we need that foreplay to soften that resistance to merging with love and to also reconnect to safety so Mm. i think at that time when i was going through that a couple of years ago i don't think i understood or really had to like internalize how important establishing safety is because it feels so simple and so foundational that I feel like, you know, those of us who have been in the work for a while, we're like, "Ah, I don't need to do that. But we do. We always need to establish safety. And then we always need to integrate after experiences as well. Yes, (laughs) absolutely. Okay. Let's touch on, let's touch on the nervous system. Okay. So 
I know that a lot of your work is within the nervous system and I feel like you have some beautiful perspectives on how the nervous system works and how to move through a triggered state. So let's let's just walk through that. Sure. So um, I like to teach the nervous system in a less uh, scientific way because I find that it doesn't stick with everyone. Like we can talk about the parasympathetic nervous system and the autonomic nervous system and the sympathetic nervous system, but ultimately um, it's more so about feeling the nervous system. And so I like to imagine that we are like the ocean and our nervous system reactions and responses are like the waves crashing through us. And those are our emotional responses. And the waves have um, four parts, essentially. And it's also different depending on your nervous system response type. So typically, it's um, you get charged. So something triggers you, you get charged up, and energy begins to rise up within you. And then um, we have uh, the peak tension point, which is that place where you feel like oh I'm about to snap like I'm gonna lose it I'm and and sometimes if you go over the edge it can lead to um, burnout you know really intense states of stress depression or anxiety and then we have um, the discharge state which is usually where people skip the work like once they start to feel like they're coming down from their emotional response they'll start intellectualizing what happened instead of Mm. like allowing their body to discharge the emotion Mm. and then relaxation like we come back to um the parasympathetic nervous system which is like the peaceful rest and digest state but for then for some uh response types like freeze for example freeze doesn't have that peak tension point in the same way freeze instead they have freeze right they Mm. they turn into an ice cube is how i like to imagine it and so what happens is instead of discharging normally they have this extra step of needing to thaw thaw meaning defrosting so you can imagine that if you were stuck in an ice cube you couldn't just start doing holotropic breath work or punching pillows or screaming or shaking because that is not like there's no one-size-fits-all solution that's not going to work for you um you you probably aren't even capable of doing that if you're in a free state and if you do you might just totally disassociate Mm -hmm. so you have to be super slow and gentle and like again coming back to like face massage Mm. deep breaths like painfully simple practices i'm safe in my body like just working with really simple mantras affirmations and movements and then once you feel like you're not frozen you can discharge um and then also when you're at that peak tension point something that i think is really helpful that i don't see talked about enough is that we need uh what i like to call state breakers and so when we're at peak tension and we feel like we're about to lose it before we react if you can grab a sour candy or put your hands in um, ice or um, smell essential oils, like something sensory Mm. that brings you back to the present moment. Um, That is really, really helpful. And over time, that trains our our mind to trust our body's wisdom over the mind's wisdom, which is a necessary part of healing our nervous systems. Yeah, (laughs) and it's so much more the feminine way too. And I think about this often where we have learned to distrust our own intuition and i think as a society and then within our own homes as as children and especially women Mm -hmm. because we get those the messaging of of like you're so emotional or you're crazy or you know there's just so much and i remember as as a like a little girl wanting to be more masculine and more manly because and I wasn't thinking that as I was a kid. This is just me processing what happened where it was like, I want to be like 
the men because it seems like they're more um they're safer and they have more fun and they're more respected and and so then it's like okay let me mask what I'm feeling and try to just fit into this box of how people want me to be mm-hmm. and so I just learning to trust my own intuition has been like the most healing thing of my life <laughs> absolutely and one thing that's really interesting about um, intuition and its relation to trauma is that uh, in a in a big way our intuition is partly inherited so um, we're bathed in our mom's chemical reactions when we're in the womb right so mm. if she's really disconnected from her own intuition while you are being grown inside of her you're feeling every single moment of self-doubt anxiety um, every stress you know hormone response and so when you come into the world you you have that distrust like embedded into you and so you know some people that's also why um, spiritual gifts tend to be passed down the maternal line be, and and like know psychics and things like that it'll often run in the family and it'll often be the women who have those gifts because um we are we are learning so much about the world before we even come into it from our mothers wow (laughs) that's that's like really cool to hear and also kind of terrifying (laughs) well you can still heal your intuition even if your mom wasn't super connected to hers but I think it can also be reassuring because a lot of people think like I just can't visualize I'm just not connected to my imagination I just I don't know how to hear my intuition and it's like well it it might not be your fault and it's something that you can learn it's kind of like an antenna or you can imagine that you're like tuning into like a radio station to like hear your intuition and Mm -hmm. to connect to synchronicity and um once you learn how to do it, it's it's not that hard and it can be done through practice. And I think one of the best tips I could give around connecting to intuition is you don't hear your intuition unless you're in a state of neutrality. So people think that when they're triggered and they start having these intrusive thoughts about like the future or the past, that maybe it's their intuition trying to guide them. And usually it's fear. Usually the intuition is only going to speak to us when we're in a neutral state and it just comes out of nowhere. Like if we're already in a stress response, you're not going to hear your intuition then because it's a subtle voice. It's not this, you know, um, loud, intense, fearful energy. Yeah. Yeah. I think that practice is such a good way to think about it because for me I remember I always pick a word for the year to just try to embody and my word a few years ago was intuition because I really wanted to connect with with that part of myself and I had realized how important that was and I took the whole year like I like was like in it it was like intuition school with myself where I would ask myself okay what is my intuition saying here because I didn't actually know yet which how to differentiate the voices because there's so many voices and some of them are ours and some of them are not ours and some of them are fear and some of them are are like our soul and I didn't know how to differentiate them yet and I took a whole year to just ask myself what happens if I listen to this voice and like see what happened and then what happens if I listen to this voice and then I would see what happened and then by the end of the year I was like okay like I get it and I think that's really cool that it's like if you don't know how to tap into that and you feel disconnected from it that's okay Mm -hmm. so many of us have and you can just 
put yourself into a little intuition school mm-hmm. and and practice because your intuition is going to be different than everyone else's and so it's like you have to just it's like an experiment mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and something that's interesting is you know the more logical left brain people in the world sometimes dismiss intuition as this like silly woo woo thing. But, you know, the, the more left brain way of thinking about it is, um, is it's instinct. Yes. Right. And so like before our, our brains, uh, our prefrontal cortex developed and we had more like reptilian brains, we relied on our instinct or our intuition. Like, you know, back in the day they would, they, they would have to trust their intuition about what weather was coming or if an animal was going to attack and they would be able to sense things before they happened. So really it's just kind of returning back to that ancestral way of silencing the mind and trusting the body's cues. I am so with you on that. And I also believe that I'm, I'm big on the subconscious mind as well. Like I've done NLP and EFT and all of those things. And I, if, if you, yeah, if the more intellectual way to think about it is like, okay, if we have our conscious mind, that's really only able to process a few bits of information at a time, then we have our subconscious mind that is processing millions of bits of information at a time. Why would we only rely on just our conscious mind to give us information if we can, one, just train our subconscious mind and listen to our subconscious mind, then we're going to be so much more ahead in life because it's processing way more than our conscious mind can Mm -hmm. even can even process. And so by listening to that and like tuning to those little nudges which are sometimes very subtle Mm -hmm. because we rely so much on our intellect in today's society and so we think that that's the only way to be but if we can really tune into that and and even train the subconscious mind Mm -hmm. like through practices and like quantum Mm -hmm. meditations and things like that it's like it it like could be woo woo but it's like it's not Mm -hmm. it's just straight up how we are (laughs) Absolutely. And uh, I always like to say that, you know, your subconscious mind is a tool that if you work with it, like life wants you to succeed and and it wants you to enjoy it. And you can know that life wants you to enjoy it because it gives you energy and it rewards you with energy when uh, when you're enjoying life and when you're thinking positively and when you're um, connected to your potential. And it really like it's this tool that it's, I wonder, I always think about this. I'm like, I wonder if the way that society and the school system is designed is actually more aware of the subconscious than we know because the subconscious responds to repetition. So it's like, how are we trained to uh, learn math in school? Repetition, right? We mm-hmm. uh, repeated the multiplication tables until we had it down more or less. And, you know, training your subconscious mind is the same. It really comes down to consistency and practice. And I love to like, drill that into people because people will hear that and they'll still be intellectualizing and they're like okay i'm just gonna read a book on the subconscious mind and like my subconscious mind's gonna be healed <laughs> yeah i'm like no you have to like give yourself like at least 30 days of practice to like actually see those changes in a long-lasting way but the cool thing is that it's also like learning how to ride a bike um imprinting new beliefs is once you practice enough you can take the training wheels off and then it's second nature like once you know how to ride a bike you always know how to ride a bike it's it's there it's embedded in you um and so you know that's that's the positive to actually taking the time to dive deep into doing the subconscious systematic work is there a practice that you use like in the present to 
train your subconscious or to, yeah, just is there a practice that you like to kind of rely on or that's like a staple in your routine? So there, there it goes, it, it depends on what I'm working on. So whenever I notice that there's a big shadow or limiting belief come up in my life and it happens to all of us because we're meant to evolve. And so there's always going to be new challenges to force us to evolve. Um, but I can speak to one that was semi-recent. So like a year or two, maybe like a year and a half ago, I felt like I was struggling with self-trust because I was having a big shift in my identity. I was like, okay, this version of me, like, I don't totally know her yet. So Mm -hmm. I don't fully trust her. And, um, so I started really taking the time to get to know myself again. And I did it through a variety of different ways, like uh, studying mystical paths, but also like more, um, more standardized, like, uh, strengths and weakness finders. Like I did both, both sides of things. And then, um, I also started by keeping new small promises to myself that aligned with the version of me that I had just stepped into. And that was really huge. Like you have to be living in integrity with yourself to trust yourself and, um, and learning to hear my inner voice again. Like, I think those are the three steps to self-trust and um at that time i was journaling a lot around self-trust on a daily basis and then also mirror work i'd say mirror work is probably my most consistent practice now Mm. so i like cycle through different things but i think there is nothing as powerful as looking into your own eyes and seeing the soul beneath them and speaking to yourself like you mean it right like for some reason that just works really well for me Mm. um it keeps me present right so i like that What are some of the things that you will say to yourself? So whatever the limiting beliefs are that come up, I will acknowledge them and I'll say kind of like an EFT. um, For anyone who's not familiar with EFT, you acknowledge the bad or the shadow, always acknowledging. We don't Mm want to bypass it. And then uh, imprint the new beliefs. So for example, if I was like, even though... I have struggled to trust myself to stay consistent at the gym. And even though I've broken my promise of going as as frequently as I want to, I am committed to going and I'm going to do my best. And, you know, I love my body and whatever it is that yeah, I need to hear in that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay. So I, you have built this beautiful business that is really heart centered and just like mission, mission oriented. And you've helped so many women through this. And I think that a lot of women want to create like businesses for themselves that are similar and want to create and receive abundance and that's that's a part of just becoming our highest selves and so how did you what was the journey for you like when it come when it came to building your business because I know that sometimes we can struggle with the like structure and systems and then also just keeping it in this vein of like from the heart and from the intuition and from the femininity and from the soul Mm -hmm. and I'm really speaking for myself where it's like the balance of all of it. So I would love to hear more about your your journey through your business. Yes. So I will say that first, I think entrepreneurship is a hard path, especially when you're trying to help people because it will bring up every shadow that you have and it will be the biggest, most confrontational mirror. 
um, especially as you have a bigger audience and more eyes on you and more criticism received and you have to really like be super like willing to understand that it's not all sunshine and rainbows and that there's so much work behind the scenes on a personal level that goes into it in order to actually help people um and i think that you know i i like to always speak to this as well because i think a lot of people have a healing experience and then they're like okay now i want to do this for other people Mm -hmm. but they don't realize exactly what they're signing up for right yeah um and so my journey started i i never really cared about making money in my business. Honestly, in the beginning, I met a life coach in Jordan. I was in Jordan in these Bedouin camps. And I was with this woman who was a life coach and a family with two kids. And uh, I've always just kind of been like, like my friends always called me their therapist. My mom called me Dr. Love. And this woman was like, you should be a life coach. And I was like, okay, like, I don't even know what that is, but whatever. And then uh, (laughs) six months later, the woman from Jordan, who was a life coach, told me she was coming to uh, Philadelphia to do uh, life coaching training. And she was like, can I stay with you? And I was like, yes, and I'm going to come. So I've always just kind of said yes when life shows me the signs. Mm. Actually, I never wanted to be a life coach. I wanted to, I've always wanted to be a published author. And that's still like my purpose, my passion. And uh, this is what life wanted for me. And um, so I I just started kind of like saying yes to things. And, uh, you know, the first year of my business, I wasn't making a lot of money and I was doing a lot of sessions for free. And it got to this point where I was like, you know what? I think I'm ready to begin making this like a real deal business. Like, I think I'm ready to hold more clients. And at that point, I had already created my signature mentorship program, Divine Alignment Activator. Um, I had channeled the whole thing. It, it took me months and months to make, and I had a lot of practice with clients before I even made it. And so uh, I made this thing that I was super proud of. And at that point, I was like, okay, cool. Now this is ready to hold more people. Like I can handle this. And so I started doing these quantum meditation practices every day. And for anyone who knows what the quantum meditations are, and they know yeah, Dr. I'm like, Joe tell Dispenza, us. <laughs> um, they're essentially these practices that help us tap into the field of infinite possibilities where, where anything is possible. And it's like, um, they call it quantum leaping, and it's essentially like accelerating um, your next version of you or having manifestations come true really quickly. And actually, uh, the quantum practices originated from the Toltec lineage. So the mm. oldest like uh, knowledge that we have of the quantum fields, you can read about it in like Carlos Castaneda's books from the ancient shamans of Mexico. It's called Turning the Wheel of Time. Um, I just like to get, pay homage to the indigenous roots because that's not generally talked about. But yeah. um, so I, I already kind of had familiarity with these practices and I do my own version of it. Um, not Dr. Joe's, even though I respect and, and appreciate him. Um, so I started doing those and I was like, okay, I want to manifest 10,000 followers. And instantly my body was like, this is so cringy. I don't want to claim that. I don't know. Just I had resistance to it, but I was like, no, you have to claim it. Like you want to be able to help more people. And so I started um, manifesting that and focusing on it. And after like maybe a couple of months, I did a ritual on my birthday and I said, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready for this. Let's go. And three days later, at a time when videos did not blow up on the internet, my uh, I look at my phone, I'm on a ski trip, and it's like plus 10,000 followers. <laughs> and it oh just kept God. going and going and going. And um, I always also like to say when it comes to manifestation, if anyone wants to like work on this for themselves, 
I think it's really important to make sure that your manifestations are aligned with the greater good. Like if you're yeah. trying to manifest a Lamborghini or to be famous, but there's no greater purpose in it for you. Like I want to be famous so that I have a platform to give back to the collective in some way. Yeah. There's no element of service. I don't think it works personally. I agree. And so, um, you know, that was like kind of the start of the journey for me. But even before that, even before the manifestation piece, it was learning to share myself authentically online. Yeah. And um, for anyone getting started, I think getting started is the hardest part because your family is going to judge you. People in your life who don't want to see you as a leader are going to like scoff at you. And you have to um, you have to learn to be comfortable being cringy and like realize that just by um, by by doing it anyways, by feeling the fear and doing it anyways, like that's, that's the way that it happens. Oh my goodness. The cringe. It's so hard. Yeah, It's so hard. My success has been because I am so willing to be cringy. Like if you scroll back wow. in my Instagram, so, I mean, I was so free though. I just was like dancing yeah. and being silly and my videos were not perfect. Mm. Um, and my posts were not perfect, but, but you know, they resonated and I've even had people message me and say, uh, you triggered me because at first I thought your posts were cringy, but then I realized that you were just so free and that triggered a part of me that like wasn't that free. So, wow. Um, I think if you can stay focused on your mission and the intention behind it, that really helps too. Yeah, that's the key. That's the key. Let's speak to some of the hardships of entrepreneurship. So it's, you know, th- that's what you spoke to at the beginning where you're like, okay, it's actually like so much hard work and it's a lot of self-work. And I always tell my clients that business, like being an entrepreneur and starting a business is the most spiritual journey that you can do. Definitely. <laughs> it's like, cause I feel like we look at it and it's like, oh, it's business. It's business. It's like, no, business is like a living ecosystem of relationships and like a value exchange and connecting with mm-hmm. others. And so I it's really hard and you have to, you come up against every single pattern and where you're, where you're feeling stuck. And Mm -hmm. so how have you been able to move through some of those sticky points in your journey? Mm -hmm. Well, so I think one thing that I'm really big on is uh, receiving feedback. So I always ask my clients for feedback because I've worked with some of the top people in the industry and they don't ask for feedback and they don't mm. fulfill the value. And that's why a lot of people work with coaches and they feel really like not good about it. Cause yeah. you know, I think um, when you're in integrity with the work that you do and you're practicing what you preach, that's the most important thing. Like if you are pretending to be someone that you're not, it's not going to work. I always say like yeah. when it comes to social media, people always ask me about social media showcase, like who you are being and that should be what your business is based around because otherwise it's, it's not going to be in alignment. Um, I think that, you know, learning how to manage challenges is also like a huge piece, like conflict resolution, criticism. Um, it happens like it's always going to come up and, you know, there, there are always, there are moments that I look back and I'm like, Oh, I wish I did that differently, but I try to just keep learning and growing. And so for example, one thing I've learned in my business recently is the way things used to be done is not how they should be done moving forward. Um, the way that we receive information has changed. So people used to love tuning into an hour long masterclass. People don't want to do that anymore. They want simple practices and tools and things that they can easily integrate into their life. Like how can 
we transmit the information in the simplest and clearest way possible because the simplest and the clearest is always what's going to win um as far as as far as like what serves people right mm-hmm. and so it's like um i think I, I keep that in mind and i also think that we talked about systems really briefly I didn't used to think I was a systems person, but I've learned that having systems and structures to contain my creative flow is everything. It's everything. And so, um, you know, really thinking about your systems is super, super important. Yeah. I I love systems, actually, because I feel like they support the it's like the masculine supports the feminine. Mm -hmm. And it's like you can have all this creative energy and ideas, but if you don't actually actualize it through a physical form then it just Mm -hmm. remains an idea yeah my best business advice as someone who has literally invested over probably like a hundred thousand dollars in business teachers and courses and some have been very disappointing and some have been really great invest in someone who can teach you systems because that is the stuff that changed my life like no one is going to really be able to teach you how to um what your magic is right like that's kind of your own journey but people can teach you how to convey that to the world. Even like, um, like I'm a writer at heart, first and foremost, I went to school for writing and learning copywriting formulas was really supportive because when you are trying to pull creativity out of thin air, it can be really hard. But if you can know how to, again, communicate really simply and clearly, and you have an idea, it's a lot easier to integrate it into this formula, into this system in a way that, is going to be supportive for people like all of my long lectures in my program i start by telling people here's the agenda this is what you're going to walk away with because then they know what to expect and even just setting expectations is like will avoid 95 percent of the problems that you could have in your business i love that i love that advice that's really good thank you yeah <laughs> what if there's someone who really wants to be like she wants to self-actualize she wants to be in her purpose she wants to be in her dharma but she doesn't really know how to find that and she's not sure what that is yet what would you say to her i would say that um your purpose isn't something that you find it's a process of becoming self-actualized and there are many different paths to self-actualization so a lot of people when they find spirituality for example they're like this is the only path but you can be a scientist and be making waves of change in the world and learning about biology and be self-actualized and be more spiritual than you know the guru right and so um i would say that it's any and and i'll speak to from my own lineage so in the toltec lineage we believe that there's only two kinds of knowledge that matter knowledge that prepares you for the inevitable unknown um for life's hard moments and knowledge of the things that you love and that bring you passion. And I think that's a really clear directive as far as what will lead you to your purpose. Fun, the things that genuinely give you long-term energy and grow you and challenge you that you're like, if you're going to a, a something I've done recently that I'm not good at so far, <laughs> but that I'm loving is like a heels dance class, I'm like challenging and also stepping into my purpose by leaning into expressing new parts of myself. That is living my purpose and so is anything that grows me um, and teaches me as a person and I think really what you can do is look at like what are you experiencing in your life uh, as far as challenges and how can you go find the solutions that genuinely fix that and that genuinely um, help you integrate the lessons and help you expand your 
capacity for discomfort and build resilience. Yeah. Here, here. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's so true because we, yeah, I, again, we just get so intellectualized about all these things and about purpose. And it's like, I do feel like it's our deepest like desire on mm -hmm. earth to just be like fully self-expressed mm -hmm. and just following, following the nudges of curiosity and desire. And we don't allow ourselves to do that sometimes because we have s these conditioning pieces of work is supposed to be hard and we're supposed to, it's supposed to be difficult. At least that was a lot of my conditioning. And so or your purpose is your work. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. have to be right. For most people it's not right. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And your purpose and your dharma is this is this like energy and this this essence that can have multiple channels to flow through. Like you are you can write a book and you can have a program that helps people. You can express yourself through poetry. You can express yourself through a heels dance class. <laughs> like there's all these ways that your purpose can unfold and it's not just some fixed thing. Here's my advice for finding your purpose. Step out of the good girl box. Like go do something out of your comfort zone and that will bring you closer to your purpose because when I'm thinking about it now, I think your purpose, and you kind of said this and I really agree, your purpose is uh, knowing that you got to show up and be 100% your authentic self without all the conditioning and all the BS in this lifetime. I think that is the purpose of why we're here is to like evolve and into our, our most empowered higher selves absolutely <laughs> how do you stay in your higher self and do you have moments where you struggle uh, i mean i'm sure you yeah do. <laughs> absolutely oh my gosh anyone who tells you they don't is lying absolutely <laughs> i like to be super real about my struggles um and i would say like i think building resilience has played a big role in my self-trust and self-trust is a core pillar of you know, connecting to your higher self. I just wrote a whole journal around developing self-trust because it's been such a core pillar of like, if you trust yourself, like you're, you're going to show up as the best version of you. And it takes time and practice. And I would say like, I do like ice baths, saunas. Um, I like to push myself, whether it's physically, whether it's through meditation, whether it's through reading new books, but just kind of finding different, um, different outlets for, for, um, building resiliency. And again, that's where doing being a beginner, so good for aligning with your higher self, because guess what? Your higher self is not the version of you that rejects your insecurity, that rejects your shadow self. Your higher self is the part of you that sees that and loves it back into wholeness and says, I accept you anyways, and you're still worthy. And so those are some practices that I love. And then in how I respond, I think that's really huge. So I have a lot of little tools that, you know, if I'm in a triggering situation or whatever, I, I like to turn to them. And um, that helped me kind of get to a place where I can say, okay, like, what would the most empowered version of me do in this situation? <laughs> sometimes there's really hard things that come up. And sometimes, um, you know, like it gets to me, like there are moments I've gotten, you know, really mean messages in the past or people like questioning people who are committed to disliking you yeah. will always find a way to bring you bring you down in their minds and I've had people like want to question my credentials or or say like oh you shouldn't be teaching this because you're not like a licensed therapist in the United States and I'm like well I am you know a, technically a psychotherapist in Mexico but whatever um, and I do, obviously don't argue with that but there are yeah. moments when people say that to you that you might have a moment of like oh well like should I step back should mm -hmm. I not express yeah. myself fully and in those moments you have to 
you know, really check in with your higher self and, um, and come back to those practices and build that resilience. Cause when you trust your strength and your ability to handle those moments and you see your worth regardless, then no one can take that away from you. And I think that's the greatest gift of entrepreneurship. And it took me many years to get to the point where like, I'm pretty unfazed. <laughs> um, but, but it was a journey. Like I really cared what people thought for so long because my intentions were good. And I was like, why don't certain people see that? Yeah. Yeah. And it comes down to just validating yourself because no one's going to validate you for you. And you're going to have so many moments, like you said, where people question you or dislike you or whatever. And it's like, if you allow their opinion to define who you are, then you'll never be fully expressed authentically, Mm -hmm. which is our deepest want. And I think we have to be the most careful with the people that we love and care about the most or the people that we value their opinions the most Mm -hmm. because that's when we tend to give our power away the most. So I've had the most moments of like, hey, like you're you're trying to be like someone else or you're slipping out of alignment with your own essence because you deeply want the approval of someone that you love and respect. And so I think that has been something to really observe, learning to trust my own leadership over anyone else's. Um, definitely recommend doing that. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. And that's what comes down to your intuition. Cause you can ask people for advice and, and it's like, always go with what is true for you because no one, no one is you. It doesn't make sense to ask for all the advice. I think you're, you're what you said about getting business advice around systems, but not your magic. Mm-hmm. I think that makes sense. But when it comes to your magic and your alignment and these big decisions that that really affect how our life unfolds, we have to go with ourselves mm-hmm. and not someone else. Absolutely. And so we can't outsource our power. No. No, we can't. And I've made the mistake of working with people because I was like, I love how they express themselves. I'm going to work with this person. And then like, I don't really learn too much because I mean, maybe for a period of time, I'm like, okay, I'm going to be like this person. And then there's this whole like coming back home to myself. And I guess there's still learning in that. Like I do believe that every choice, every investment, whether it turns out to be good or bad, um, if you really look for the lesson, like I've been to and invested in some horrible, horrible retreats run terribly and they were so helpful to me when I ran my first retreat I was like what not to do yeah and it was great and I like I I didn't have to go through that lesson of messing up my own retreat first Mm -hmm. like I know how to run a retreat because I know what not to do Mm. and it inspired me to really learn to make sure that like I knew how to lead groups in in person (laughs) yeah that's that's such a good point (laughs) so there's always some magic to squeeze out there is there is what are you currently moving through or like what's your edge right now? Mm, so my most recent edge, which I'm feeling pretty good about because I feel like I've kind of gotten over it in the last couple of months. Um, but I had kind of joined this like program around leadership. It was a mastermind and um, public speaking. And I felt kind of bad about myself because we all had to share like a little speech in this experience and I was one of the last people to go and there was a lot of emotion and tears and no preparation time so no breaks the entire time so after like six hours I got up in front of everybody and I just kind of winged it and I found myself reverting back to this old pattern of like 
I'm just not even going to like fully try right now. And I didn't mm. feel good about how I did. And yeah. so I had to kind of had to come back to that place of like, it doesn't matter what other people think and you have to trust your own leadership. And in that moment, looking back, I wish I had said, this is, I'm never going to do a speaking gig where I'm processing other people's emotions for six hours first. And then I have to give a speech like that is not something I'm ever going to opt into. Therefore that doesn't reflect my worth and that's okay. And I learned from that, but it really inspired me to want to, um, cultivate a deep confidence in my authentic voice without needing to prepare without needing a safety net and being able to just speak from my heart and letting that be enough and so podcasting has been a huge part of that and more recently I just went to um, an open mic to share poetry poetry is like the deepest vein of who I am and it's the most tender tender piece I think it's like the greatest window into who someone is is when you hear their stream of consciousness and they're vulnerable writing. And so I got up in front of a stage um, and, you know, I had this poem memorized and and I did it. And it was really empowering. And obviously, you know, I'm like, oh, there's room for improvement. Like, I'm going to keep getting better. But I think um, practicing being a beginner this year, especially in L.A., where so many people are so talented, yeah. has been so humbling at first and also so empowering. And I feel like I'm finally at a place where I'm like, I trust my ability to express myself off the top of my head, even on a stage, (laughs) but it took time. (laughs) That's so beautiful. I feel like the common thread through this podcast is like, be a beginner. Yeah. I feel like that's, it's like, and hold yourself through that and you'll learn so much through that and build resiliency through that. And can you learn to have fun even when you're not accomplishing or achieving or doing your best? Like if you can do that, that's a master practice, if you ask me. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, and I feel like, especially if you're an entrepreneur, you always, you want to be, you want to do things that you're good at. I mean, I think all humans just, we only want to do things that we're good at. And it's such a good lesson when we can be a beginner and just totally allow our ego to drop. Mm-hmm. And we learn so much about ourselves through that process because it is so hard to see ourselves sometimes. And so when we put ourselves in those environments, you're just like, oh, bam, that's a, that's something, that's mm-hmm. a pattern. Or that's like, I don't really want that to be a part of me. Absolutely. I like to also really reflect on like intentions and like thinking like, is this, is this action? Am I, am I acting from the intention of personal importance or personal power like that's just a really great little checkpoint um when you're being a beginner or when when you're doing whatever even as an entrepreneur like if you can feel empowered about what you're gonna say and post it out there into the world or you know yeah put your art into the world and be excited about it instead of needing approval which would be coming from personal power it's a lot easier to move through um the moments of rejection the moments of needing to regroup the moments of failure and they do happen for all of us so you know it's it's a supportive little tool to check in Mm. bam such good advice (laughs) thank you i'm gonna use that one (laughs) (laughs) is there anything else that is just on your heart that you feel called to share before we wrap this podcast up Mm. let me think for a moment yeah take your time anything else on my heart 
You know, I feel like I just want to say to anyone who's listening, like put yourself out there and know that when you're avoiding the hard things, you're not healing and you're not progressing. And uh, there's nothing more empowering than just like meeting the challenges and meeting those hard moments and just being willing. And so put yourself out there. I call it power play, like get out into the world, let yourself get triggered and practice using all of the tools, all of the information that you're learning so that you can begin to just um, integrate it until it's embodied. That would be my piece of advice. (laughs) I love it. Bam. We'll end it there. Okay. Thank you so much. This was so great. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed our conversation.